It is March 25th, 2018. This is episode number one of an indie web podcast, as yet not permanently titled. So once again, I am joined by Chris Aldrich for another conversation of an indie web theme. Hi, I'm Chris Aldrich of BafoSaco.com. And my name is David Shansky. You can find me at david.shansky.com or hanging around various indie web chat rooms, apparently known for perking up whenever anybody says the word WordPress. Or cookies. I don't think I've ever popped up for cookies. Uh, Loki always pops up for cookies, I think. Yes. Loki would be the chat bot who hangs around the room and may or may not be sentient. Exactly. Um, and so, and so uh, this this week's topic, I think you had suggested we... We chat about the the ongoing Facebook debacle. Well, it's um, not so much by itself. Um, admittedly, it's what it brings into focus in regards to the indie web community, which is leaving. So, or not even always leaving. And I'll you know, but before we even start, I think we we owe it to both ourselves and our listeners to. Um, Say from the get-go, especially as we talk about, you know, my guess is some personal experiences along the way that neither David nor I speak on behalf of the broader IndieWeb community, which is uh, a vast, broad, and diverse group of folks. Um, although I will say we probably have been around and participating in it long enough to know uh, that there is, a, in some sense, a, an IndieWeb way of thinking. Well, that's uh, what we're, we're trying to represent. You know, not only our own way of thinking, but the general community's way of thinking about this. So there are people who are more to one extreme or the other. So, for example, uh, let's just start at the beginning with what actually happened. It was revealed that uh, basically the way that Facebook had designed its ability to gather data had been exploited by a company in order to get not just information for the people who participated in a survey, but information about their friends, to an ex basically to an excessive degree. And uh, since then, uh, Mark Zuckerberg has been making the round saying, we're sorry, we, did, we shouldn't have done this, it's our fault, but the problem remains. Well, and I, I think it's been a problem that they were aware of and have known about for, you know, much longer than they're letting on. Um, well, that's the thing. Um, the problem you have with all these companies in general is that they make a mistake and they know they've made a mistake, and sometimes it's not a mistake. Sometimes they deliberately realize something, and they decided that that thing is just something they're going to accept. So the ability of people to access your personal data and access the personal data of your friends is not a bug, it's a feature. Oh, I, yeah, I think they've actually engineered a lot of this functionality into their product from day one, and it's the, the means by which most of them, uh, Facebook, not by itself, but other companies as well have built this free product that they give away and in return you're paying them with uh you know loads of personal data with which they can do almost anything they'd well, like I'm, pay I'm paying them with my data i didn't say anything about my friend's data yeah well and that's that's the presumption i think the thing that makes it even worse is uh your and it's not even f close friends necessarily it may be relatives or distant relatives or even distant friends that yeah. you happen to be friends with on, and not even close friends, but uh, the fact that you're within their social graph, you're then giving away your data 
because of a choice they made and not a choice you specifically that's, made yourself. That's the part I'm, that I object to. Yeah. Which is basically that. And I, you know, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that I, there are more than one close relative who I've either blocked or unfriended on Facebook because of egregious, you know, use of either games and silly notifications or saying, Hey, play this, you know, I or just, take this weird quiz, which I, yeah, you know, and there are people I've, who do that. I've known better for several years to do that. Well, and, implications are but i think the broad public is just finally coming around to understanding what what taking a quiz on facebook means but the thing is neither of us are leaving i haven't heard that you've said you're leaving and i haven't left i'm not leaving in part because i feel i you know it's i'm i'm in it over a decade now i'm i think i'm moving in on an 11th year anniversary on Facebook and I think I'm probably when I joined there was only one other person in my you know 4000 person Rolodex um who was on Facebook before me um well for me um I have the other part of it I want to lock it down a little more on the basis that I feel that it's it, that the subject gets going too far but I don't necessarily want to leave a community where there are people who are engaging with me. Admittedly, I get a lot of bad out of that, but I also get a lot of good out of that. Mm-hmm. So all I have to do is downscale the bad. Now, I'm not as active a person as some people are. If you actually looked at my feed on Facebook, and I'm just pulling it up now because I'm curious exactly, um, is there anything I posted on here that was recently that was not directly off of my website? Okay, no, no. Maybe one or two comments where I wasn't in a position because you can't really send comments back to Facebook. Mm. But other than that, pretty much everything's coming from my website anyway. Yeah, I think I'm probably almost at the three-year mark that everything I've posted to Facebook, aside from maybe a few random likes, uh, which I view as kind of ephemeral uh, data exhaust, uh, almost everything I've posted on my own website first um, or if not, first, I've done a Pesos workflow where I've posted it to Facebook first and then which put, a co- put, a, put a copy of it on my website. Which you can still um, so the I thing don't do... is, you can start, as long as you've decided that you're going to keep things at that level, there's no necessary reason to leave. Um, you just lock everything down and say, this is my the extent of my participation. But we do have members of the community who have decided to leave. So you have... Uh, Jonathan LeCure, who basically deleted his Facebook account and noted that uh, he hopes they go down in flames. And again, um, you have that. And then uh, Eddie Hinkle, who's another community, who has declared that um, he will be leaving Facebook soon. So soon being uh, after, I assume, a bunch of things have happened. Um, yeah, I think he may, he may fall kind of into at least some of the camp of philosophy that I do in that I was there early and encouraged others to join. Um, and so, I, so basically I th- you, you were a dealer and now you're preaching. Well, um, I just, I was being in, a little humorous there. But in, in some sense a dealer, but I've also always been a much more sophisticated user of the platform than any, any one else that I know. So, you know, going back, you know, the day they, and I think it was in, as I recall, it was in response to Google Plus's circles 
Facebook had the ability to create lists of people. So I very quickly took the couple thousand people that I was friends with on Facebook and sorted them out into lists and sublists so that I could quickly and easily get the data out of the people that I wanted to hear from more quickly than others. So I have a very narrow subset of people that I follow on Facebook on a regular basis, and it's because they're usually posting more interesting, rich, and active content rather than things about games or cat videos or the meme of the day, which, while that can be fun, I try not to consume that kind of data. Um, ooh, excuse me. Is that me or you? That was me asking you for editing access to that um, list because I have an article to add to it. Oh, okay. I We're working on our workflow here live, <laughs> um, which is always nice. Um, I don't know where it's coming from to be able to answer it or get rid of it. Okay, well then uh, you will be responsible for the show notes then. <laughs> okay, I can do that. Yeah. Um, There's democracy for you. Um, if you don't know how to actually give me permission to edit them, then you will be doing the editing. Um, so I will just send you links. No, that's fine. I, th I thought you had had access from day uh, one. When no, I, I, I actually forgot to ask. Okay. But I thought um, it was worth actually, if you are concerned about this, I thought it was worth linking to the EFFs, um, how to change your Facebook settings to opt out of platform API sharing. Yeah. So if you don't want to leave, um, here is how you can basically, in the advice of the EFF, lock down your account where all the settings are. There are pictures of what you can say and there are a lot of other articles out there that with the same information i tend to lean towards the eff um, at one end of the spectrum also but at least uh, you know that they're telling you where everything yeah but i think uh, you know going back to eddie's in some sense i'm a dealer but i also paid more attention i think than most of my friends and family did early on and i'm also i think one of the first if not the only in my circle of friends who either has thought about leaving or, you know, would leave. Um, and I haven't in some sense, uh, and I think it was, you know, advice from Tantec, who, and I've seen him dispense it several times, is, you know, both the owning, having your own domain and owning your own data is a good thing, but par part of the underlying piece of what IndieWeb is is still being able to actually interact with people who you want to interact with. And the sad fact of the matter is most of my friends and family, if they're active on any social media, nine times out of 10, it's Facebook that they're active on. So if I quit Facebook entirely, I lose access to, you know, s small bits of data and things that I do share with those friends and family that I really want to see. So if I quit it, I'm not quitting just the social platform, but I'm quitting all of those people um, in some sense or have to, you know, the bar raises, you know, a magnitude or more to be able to keep in touch with those friends and family um, in any way, shape or form because they're not, they're not all actively quitting um, or leaving or even curtailing um, their use of the platform. Um, and I think I've, you know, I wouldn't mind being one of the last people to also leave the platform, in a sense, to help turn the lights out as I go. Um, but I do want to actively help people who 
want to leave Facebook or quit Facebook or more intelligently use Facebook and know what data they're giving away and how it's being used and where it's going, you know, I'd like to do that first and foremost. So hopefully throughout our conversation here, we can, you know, give some hints and tips uh, and links both in the show notes after the fact of what's going on and how to better take care of and use uh, that data as it goes by. Um, And this, uh, unlike the last one, my goal this time was for it to be a little more brief. Yeah. Because we had this request that we talked a lot last time. And Uh, this is going to be sort of our attempt at the shorter one. So like a 20 or 25 minute conversation instead of a 40 minute one. So I guess the, the, before before we even get into that too, I'm curious how, how you use Facebook or how often you use Facebook. Or in what ways you use it other than posting to it from your own website? Do you have it on your cell phone? Do you actively? I actually don't. I have visit it every day. I do have Facebook Messenger on my phone, but that's mostly because I'm looking to talk to people, not necessarily do anything else. And yeah. I have a lot of people I can only get to through there. Um, and I think one of the things that's come out recently, I think three or four days ago, somebody in New Zealand posted that they, in leaving Facebook, they had downloaded their data archive and found out that Facebook is actually collecting or retrieving and collecting all of their cell phone data of outgoing and incoming phone call messages and texts, um, which they physically weren't aware of, even as a relatively tech-savvy person. Well, no, they used to. Uh, now the permissions are much more granular. Yeah. So it's older data, um, but you still can't get and I think one of the other issues, too, was Facebook, in some sense, follows local laws in terms of what data they can and can't keep. So some countries have more flexible uh, privacy laws, and in which case Facebook's collecting more and more data in those countries than others. Um, uh, and I, I think, actually, we've only kind of touched the very tip of some of what Facebook's actually collecting on people and how they're using it. Um, yeah, but I think the coverage of that is sort of well done. So I think if we if we just sort of leave it at we've given the sort of the big idea and link to some stories, we can sort of go on to yeah. what do you do once you've decided to leave? Where do you go instead? So what what would you do, David Shansky? How would you leave Facebook if you le- were going to leave tomorrow? What what would you do? I'd just tell everyone I'd start my countdown and I would make sure everybody knew where my website was. The problem is right now, nobody, even the people who I know, know where my website is. There's a large percentage of my interaction that comes from So by me cutting off other places, I'd be in the position of cutting off interaction. I Mm -hmm. love the small group of people who actually come and show up on my website, but it is a small group of people. Yeah. So my philosophy has always been, I will be where people are. However, all that stuff is going to come from my website, except again, occasionally for the odd comment that I just sort of put directly there for whatever reason. Uh, Usually it's because the automation doesn't quite work. Mm -hmm. So if you look at my website, all that stuff is sent over to Mm -hmm. every single article. There are some that don't go anywhere. For example, if I don't think that the audience that I have on Facebook, which is a very different audience than I have on my website, would be relevant, then I don't bother to send it. Yeah. Same thing with Twitter. I send a lot of things to Twitter, but I get very little interaction with Twitter. Whereas a lot of other people get a lot of interaction. Yeah, it's kind of hit and miss. I Some things I syndicate to certain silos, and it's usually based on audience. 
So it's more friends and family related things or a small, usually small groups of people that I interact with on Facebook. I'll send things specifically meant to target them rather than, you know, my mom or dad or brothers and sisters, let's say, um, because that's where they happen to be. Um, whereas, you know, it's a whole different group of people either I'm following or who are following me on Twitter that I syndicate content to that silo as a separate thing. Um, but I, I've been finding actually in the three or so years that I've been doing this, I'm I'm getting more and more interesting interaction with people in the broader web who I don't know and don't have regular contact with who are interacting directly with my website more often than not, or using their own website and interacting with mine. And I find that the interactions I'm getting by those means are far, far richer than ones that I'm getting from Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or anything else. So what about micro.blog, which has just recently joined the scene as a way to sort of tie these things together? Well, I, I, even before we get to that, I'm curious and it may lead into that, but here's my, here's the other, and it's a very pointed question, I guess, for your friends and family who aren't technically savvy, how would you, if your you know best friend came to you and said, I, I'm concerned about this Facebook data stuff and what's happening in social media, and I want to leave, but I need to go somewhere else, where, where do I go or what do I do so that I can still keep some sense of interaction, but without losing, you know, my social entire social graph, what would you suggest to them? I don't know right now that might be micro.blog. It's the simplest thing I could think of. Mm -hmm. It does allow you to have the choice of either having your own site or I believe they still do. They do some sort of hosting. Yes. Um, and I take it then you're not on micro.blog yourself. Oh no, I signed up for it, but I hooked it into my website. So I haven't really, I'm not really active there. Yeah. Or do you, um, yeah, I was going to say, do you actively go to it and seek it out? Uh, it's on my list. Yeah. Uh, one Uh, second. Okay. Uh, there was a bit of a break in the recording at this point. Uh, the break in the recording specifically was a three week gap where, uh, the recording had to stop suddenly due to a conflict and it has been basically this long to actually get both of us available to continue it. So uh, we're back uh, when we left off. Uh, and if you see any um, disconnects in our conversation, it may be because we, as means of explanation, uh, paused it for three weeks. Yep. And didn't go back to review what we were really chatting about. Well, we sort of, I sort of skimmed it, but we didn't go to the entire recording and listen to it. Um, I will sort of edit it together a little um, just to make sense. And we're immediately going to launch into a second episode so we can sort of catch up. Uh, so we were talking about um, people leaving Facebook, and we were about to switch into from what happens when you actually do leave, where can you go, and what can you do? Can you still have that level of interaction when you don't have your large, uh, let's say, multi-billion dollar organization backing that up? And there's a couple ways to do it, too. There's kind of leaving Facebook in a way that you own your data, but still you can interact with people who are still you're still leaving behind on Facebook. And then there's, I think, a separate piece where you can just leave Facebook altogether um, in an attempt to try and get all your friends and family to join in. Um, so I think there's kind of a wean yourself away method uh, and go uh, or a go cold turkey method. Well, the um, problem with the 
cold turkey method is that you've lost all these people. The whole reason yep. people end up on Facebook is because they want to be connected to people who are on Facebook. That doesn't exactly. mean that they want to be connected on Facebook. It just means that you, know, you go where the people is. I started out having instant message conversations on AIM. AIM is gone. I moved to talk. But then I had people who wouldn't join talk who would only talk to me on Facebook Messenger. So I have to have all three knit together in order to cover 100% of the people I wish to communicate with. Yep. So what would you do if you were going to leave Facebook? Well, I'm not really there that aggressively. Yeah. Um, I'm not like, uh, I, I like to use use the example of the very active social individual. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily active on all social platforms. Basically, you are a person who says a lot more than I do on the internet. Is sort of the the difference. Um, I'm very targeted, and I'm I've been trying to build tools to make it so easy for me to say things that I won't think about why am I bothering to say this, which yeah. is half the time. Either it's when I get home, I'll I'll write that down. What was I going to talk about? Yeah. So I need to make it so easy to actually convey my thoughts to other people that I don't have to think about it much. And you hear me sort of working on all these things to make it so incredibly easy that I won't think about it. Yep, or redu completely reduce the friction. And I think that's probably one of the toughest parts about leaving a big silo like a Facebook or a Twitter is they've made it so inherently simple to post and interact and communicate. Um, well, I want to talk a little more about that in our next episode. So we, we can will, get to which that. I don't, I don't know when that will be recorded. But, but I think if if it if it were me leaving and I didn't have the infrastructure I have right now. And I had to recommend to friends and family who wanted to do it in the easiest way possible. I would say for a, I think it's a, a $5 a month uh, hosting solution, you can get your own domain name, create a micro.blog account, and then post everything there at a space which you, for all intents and purposes, own and control. And then you can make all of your posts there and syndicate them very easily through uh, tools that micro.blog allows to syndicate directly to Facebook. And then by uh, attaching a uh, your account to a Bridgie or a BRID.GY account, you can then have that service for free, bootstrap all of the comments and reactions to your posts on Facebook to come back to your micro.blog account well, it's uh, sort of the that's sort of what we've been advocating it just this is a service that does all of that work for you the more services like that there are the better we are in the long run yeah and particularly when they bend over as far backwards to help make doing that as easy as possible so for i don't know, maybe 10 minutes worth of setup and an incredibly you know low fee as far as those types of things go so you do, can you, very... do you have a micro.blog I do, or I have. Well, I don't have a paid account, uh, but I do have it tied into my own website as a place to which I syndicate content. Um, and I, and then I take on the responsibility of syndicating things, and I do it only as I choose. So on, I don't do every single post that I syndicate to Facebook or vice versa. I tend to do the pieces of content that I either have specific friends or family on Facebook who are only on Facebook and that's the only way they'll see it. I'll syndicate that stuff. Um, so I'll hit Facebook as a target and I'll hit separately micro.blog as a target, but I'm not relying on micro.blog to then in turn take what I post on my site 
to go to micro.blog and then from there to go to Facebook because that's just an extra layer of complexity I don't need and don't want. Um, well, I'm, I actually gave micro.blog a list of random feeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has my note feed, my like feed, my bookmark feed, my check-in feed, and my photo feed. I oh. think mine is mine is kind of a subset, fairly similar to that. Yeah, I just picked a couple things just to see. Nobody has said anything yet, and I haven't really said much on there, uh, but I do link to it. Well, I, I think part of it, too, is, and I usually go visit my micro.blog account a couple of times a week and actively kind of participate there directly. Um, or use it as a reader to see what other uh, friends are doing. And it's it's actually, it reminds me a lot of the early days of Twitter, where people were much more open and friendly and congenial. Um, so it's, it's a much smaller and tighter-knit community, I think, than Twitter is now, where it's reached such a massive scale that it's, it's kind of pulling itself apart at the seams. Um, but I think by participating directly, on the site itself, um, it creates a greater list of interactions rather than syndicating to it and not really paying attention. Um, so it's kind of like you could stand on the outside of a party and yell comments into the party, but nobody in the party is going to really pay much attention to the, the crazy person who's yelling outside. You actually need to go into the room and directly interact, and I think that makes it a much more pleasant an interesting experience. Um, so what other places can you go if you don't want to go to micro.blog? Um, and another good option, I think, and I don't think they offer hosted plans anymore, uh, but with known, or as it's known in short form, known uh, is another good option. But I think to do that these days, you need to either contact the company to create an account specifically, which I, I would imagine you can still do. Um, otherwise, you would need to have your own domain name and self-host an instance. Um, and probably, you know, if you've got either a developer friend or somebody who's web savvy, you could have somebody set up an instance of that and set it up to syndicate to Facebook and Twitter and a handful of other services really quickly and easily. And to me, that is a probably one of the other just dead simple solutions for leaving Facebook and having your own kind of account and identity. And it's got a very simple, easy to use interface such that if you can use Facebook, you can certainly do this um, and, and have almost as rich or maybe even a richer experience both on your own as well as with Facebook or other, other services in terms of notifications and data moving back and forth. uh, well, but I, th- I think that may be the second. But well, also, it, it does have an active community, even on the open source side of commits. I just went and looked at their uh, committing here. Yeah. And while it seems to be only one person who seems to be doing the bulk of the committing, yeah, they seem to be committing a bunch. Oh yeah, he's well, and I think he takes a lot of feedback, um, both internally from the company itself and their user base as well as work both for himself and others who are using it as a tool. Um, yeah, I'm so just think... looking to see how active. Um, it looks like there are two or three people who are very active. Yeah, and there, I think there's also a, a there's a rich community of plugins that work with Known 
where there's a lot more exterior community activity going on. Um, but it's, and it's honestly, I think almost a year ago, it's reached the version one stage, although I don't think they've officially released a, a version, version one of the product. Um, but, but I think it's, you know, incredibly solid and smooth and a, just a, a really good experience um, that isn't as bulky and heavy as, you know, most of the other solutions that are out there if you were going to just start from scratch. Um, not that, you know, something like WordPress, which I think is both yours and my kind of favorite solution um, to do this and obviously what we've both done. Um, oh, although we, for... we're... We both keep trying to move an ecosystem that has a lot of people in a more indie web friendly place. Yep. Uh, the difference being that you know microblog started there, although it's much younger. Yeah. And then you have you know known, which also started as an indie web friendly service. And so I think known known's coming up on its fourth birthday here yeah. within the next couple months. So. Yeah, and you know they've they tried to monetize it, didn't quite work either. But that um, they're still maintaining it as a, a basically a community project. Mm-hmm. And it was popular in a lot of forums, so I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah, I don't. Well, I actually run a... If I were going to encourage friends and family to escape Facebook, I actually have an instance set up uh, on my own that could handle multi-user interactions. So in some sense, I'm, I've got an instance that I could invite friends and family to who wanted to escape Facebook to have a small private interaction space that only those with accounts could see and read and post and interact while leaving the rest of the world completely shut out um, and or the ability to take posts there and send them to Facebook to stay in touch with friends and family members, although the barrier between public and private becomes a little a little more difficult to handle. Um, so in some sense, I've got my own little mini social network set up that could completely replicate most of the functionality that friends and family are finding on Facebook. If they really wanted to protect and save all of their own data, I could handle and administer that on their behalf, um, which I think is one of the other really powerful pieces of what known enables. Um, and that's and, possible with other things. WordPress has multi-site. Yeah. Uh, and then that sort of brings us to Mastodon is the next one on the list. We have here other possibilities. How do you I feel about I, Mastodon? Um, I've been playing around in Mastodon since uh, November of 2016, I think, um, which was just you know, two or three months prior to it really taking off, at least in what was noticed in the tech press in early 2017. Um, uh, I like the concept of what it is. That I think the tough part for me is that it one can set up and host their own instance and interact with all the other instances but so it's a little more distributed than most but i think in a broader indie web sense all the thousands of instances of mastodon are still they're federating amongst amongst each other so there's a humongous ecosystem there but it's still in some senses it's a very own silo because they're not allowing content to come out of it in some sense or content to go back in um and I, I think it was in the last week and a half uh garon who is the kind of project lead who created the first instance uh very specifically said he wasn't going to support the web mention protocol on the service 
Yeah, and uh, I have the comment here. It was in their GitHub repo. And I, I, I kind of found it interesting and intriguing. There were a f- several people who run their own instance of, instances of Mastodon who preferred not to support web mentions um, for um, reasons of privacy and user expectations internally. But the thing I found odd was that uh, everything people, for the most part, are posting within that ecosystem is all public and public-facing, and they can interact within the broader Mastodon universe. But for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why, they didn't seem to want to interact with a larger, broader web universe. And I, I really didn't get the philosophy of why that was, particularly given that the whole system was set up to be easily federated with everything else. Um, so it's kind of like, hey, we're this big open project and we want to create open communication on the internet, but we're not going to support this one thing that really gives us a much broader base. Um, uh, so I, th- you know, and I, I have a feeling that some of those folks weren't aware of what this concept is of web mention and, you know, having conversations across borders. Well, there, I was just looking, uh, here we are, the exact thing. Um, a poll was, was done, apparently, for public opinion. And it was a very short-timed poll, too, I'll, I'll note. Yeah, so basically, there was a straw poll done, and according to this, the results said, uh, when linking to any, um, should Mastodon said web mentions, parentheses, when linking to any website from a public toot, that website may link back to that toot as a comment or pingback. So yes was... 54%. No, 46 uh, with 438 individuals. And if I remember back to he, I want to say he's based in Europe. Yeah, which is, but... uh, again, uh, there are European privacy considerations that uh, Americans don't always think about. Um, if you've been following the whole GPDR argument, uh, which, oh, yes. I, which I have because it seems to invade everything in my life lately. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, so... The idea is that there are requirements under the GPDR, which takes full effect next month, that says you have to allow people to know what data you have on them, to allow people to delete that data, to allow people to export that data. So the problem being that uh, this is data you posted publicly, and you sent, in theory, a web mention saying that you uh, wanted that data to be shared with other people, which seems to be intent. Yes. But you have the other side of it, which is how do you take it down? Now, I was just having this conversation earlier today, which was basically you can tell you can send a web mention that says the this data is no longer public, delete it. That's a delete web mention, which the other side should in theory honor. Yeah. So there is support for that. But you get to the other part of it. Let's say I reply to a site. Now, look at what I do. When I uh, reply, bookmark or otherwise, I store some information about that in order to generate a preview, basically a rich piece that allows everyone to know what it is I'm actually replying to. Mm-hmm. Now, what should I be doing if that thing goes down? So if that site is no longer available, should I still be preserving that little summary? Yeah. Or, well, and that the other thing it gets into, too, for me is, why did the other site go down? Did somebody forget to pay their hosting bills? Did they purposefully take it down? Uh, well, the, was it the scenario, maliciously taken down? Well, the scenario is purposeful. Yeah. Well, if it was purposefully taken down and they have the ability to send a delete web mention. Well, let's say that the other, 
that's good if you know if they sent you a web mention which prompted it. But what if I bookmark uh, an article and the article is taken down? I don't get a notification I, unless I'm periodically re-examining all the stuff on my site. Yeah, which is a uh, theoretically doable. But so the only logical thing to do is if anybody comments that they want it taken down, to have a policy that says I will take it down. Yeah. Uh, does that satisfy everybody's concerns? I don't know. I'm curious to hear what people think about that. Or does it does it even satisfy the letter of the law in most cases, particularly in the well, the EU. argument is that uh, a personal website is not a commercial enterprise. Yeah. So I don't derive any financial benefit from it. So I'm limited in terms of my obligations, but I still want to comply in some you know in the spirit of it. Yeah. And again, there's arguments as to what you know whether or not what did I do, and then you get into well, what if I copied that information from Facebook? There you have back fees. I basically kept a copy of communication. That was directed at me yep. through a third-party medium. Who has the rights on that? And if somebody asked for it, would I give it to them? I sort of liked what uh, Ryan Barrett said uh, earlier when I asked him and what he says in his uh, About page for Bridgie, which is his backfeed product, where he basically takes various sites and converts them into web mention. I'm not sure if you've read it. Uh, I he may added, have uh, caught uh, a snippet of it, but didn't yeah, Which read is uh, basically, uh, this is his thoughts on Bridgie and the GPDR. So EU general... Data Protection Regulation uh, takes effect May 2018. It may be exempt because it only handles fully public data. The vast majority of the data is from or for personal sites. It's a non-commercial project with no income. And while it does require um, anyone to provide a full export of users' data, delete that data, or terminate, um, he doesn't plan on building an automated export or delete, uh, but will happily do it manually until it hurts. Mm -hmm. So the idea is anybody's individual personal website is small enough that if somebody asks you to take something down, you should just take it down. Yeah. So I think on that level, um, other than delete web mentions, I don't think there's anything necessarily a problem. But well, how, how wide think, how widespread do you think delete web mention support is? That's not the issue. The, um, if somebody wants to have my site automatically take it down, again, I have a mechanism for it. Mm-hmm. Just because you would have to support that mechanism, if you don't support it, you just send me a communication and I take it down for you. Yeah. So there's a self, um, if you go to a gas station and you don't know how to pump gas and somebody from inside comes out and does it for you, is that gas station not providing you service? There's a <laughs> yeah. self-service and there's a full service option. Yeah. I'm happy to provide full service options if somebody asks me to take something down. Now, again, there's no facility for that on the, I posted about somebody else. So I, me initiating the connection. Yeah. There's no web mentioned version of that. I don't know. Is there a way to automate? I'm not even talking about automating the, but maybe I need a form on my website that says, I'm unhappy with this. Please take it down. Maybe I need to have the right to be forgotten implemented well, on my website. And I think that actually has happened sometime in the last year or so. I think Google changed some of their SEO uh, setups uh, and it had a lot of, it was mostly people who were making spammy posts over the last decade scramble because they were suddenly being dinged in an SEO sense for creating comments on other people's websites with links to back to their site. Not that they necessarily were, you know, done in the best spirit, but I think a lot of companies went back and had people literally calling website owners to say, can you take this down? Um, and of course, there being no legal necessity to do that in the U.S., given current privacy issues or regulations uh most sites didn't out of you know 
kind of retaliation saying, hey, you were the one who spammed my site and put that there in the first place. And if it's causing you issues now, I'm happy to let it continue causing issues because you you spammed me in the first place. Um, well, no matter what, someone's going to be unhappy. That's my yeah. that's my general conclusion. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't make everyone happy all of the time. Certainly. Well, uh, um, my personal favorite is when I asked the question about um, somebody's policy, a privacy policy about web mentions, and I actually got one. Uh, somebody cited the, um, one particular community member's very detailed privacy policy, which actually does have a section on this. Yeah. Web mentions, an explicit form of your content management. By sending a web mention to the web mention endpoint of this website, you request the server to take notice of that referral and process it. As long as public content is concerned, such use of this website's web mention endpoint implies that you are aware of it being published. In this context, it shall be pointed out that none of the information collected in the context of web mentions is personal data. The metadata and content of a web page referring to this website are publicly available web content at this time. You can at any time request the removal of one or all web mentions originating from your site. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty specific way of describing it. I was thinking of making off with with some version of that language. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, you're referencing Sebastian Gregor's. Is it Gregor? Or Gre- I wasn't sure how to pronounce his last name. G R E G E R. But is that Gregor or Gregor? I don't know. I've only read it in print and never yeah. heard it spoken. So, well, um, if he listens, he'll have to tell us how to pronounce it. But he's got a very. I, you know, this is an area I think that he pays a lot of specific attention to. Latest um, posts on his website, GPDR, 10 Examples of Best Practice UX for Obtaining Marketing. Challenge GPDR, Undesirable Effort. Eight Valuable Insights from a Discussion Panel on Opportunities of the G... Yeah, Data Protection Day 2018. I yeah, think this he is, about this. This is his bailiwick, to be, to be certain. Yeah, um, but it's a really but- detailed and specific privacy policy and i think the solution is to just tell people what you're doing and say if you're unhappy with something that happens to interact with you just tell me and i'll do something about it Mm -hmm. but not to worry too much about the automation of tools because that's going to be a problem well i I also think to almost 99.9 percent of all extant web mentions to this point are all done in public and not private um and doing things in private you know, there's been some experimentation with PGP keys and private web mentions, um, which I think could be a very useful thing, particularly in cases uh, of restricting audience the way services like Facebook allow you to say, you know, I want to make this post and only certain friends and family or circles of people that I'm interact have the ability to interact with will see it and or can respond to it. Um, but the that kind of encryption setup hasn't been done beyond probably four or five website owners who have gone to great lengths to implement it. I think it was sort of, we want to, we want to have something like this, we'll test it. And then after you test it, you realize there aren't enough people to actually use it with on a regular basis. Yeah. But, but I think with changes and broader public understanding of what Facebook is doing with people's data, how they're doing it, where it's going, and what control they do or don't have over it. Um, implementations like that now have a greater reason for existing um, so that you can create smaller audiences or private posts in some sense that allow you to interact with a smaller concerted group of people but still do it on your own domain and with your own website rather than relying on some third party to do it for you. Um, well, I don't know what's going to happen. 
I've come to the conclusion watching all of this Facebook stuff that people are finally starting to realize that there may be some problems with what they've been doing. Yeah. And maybe they shouldn't have been doing that. But um, there are other people who I don't really see stopping it. Oh, uh, Facebook abused us. Let's just move to Instagram, which is sort of <laughs> the joke, mostly because of the fact that most people seem to not realize that uh, Facebook owns Instagram. But even if you said um, Facebook isn't taking good care of me, I'm going to move over to Google Plus, assuming you can find your friends there. Mm-hmm. That might not be. Then it's I'm going to move to Mastodon. Every every system has its problems. Even the indie web system, which again has the advantage that if you are unhappy, it's you. So yeah, you, you can't really do much about that. Everything has their its problems. My issue is Facebook is sort of the poster child for um, crossing the line, apologizing, crossing the line again, apologizing. Again. And basically saying, okay, fine. Uh, we we keep tell, we keep showing you guys that we don't care about your concerns, uh, but we apologize for not caring about your concerns. So we're just so you're going to forgive us eventually because we become so useful to you. Mm-hmm. And again, for me, I don't know. I'm concerned about the fact that there's so much that Facebook has collected on me, despite the fact that I am not actually a really active user. And yeah, I haven't oh, necessarily I- derived benefit from that to the extent that they. I have. think. I think one of the things that hasn't even crossed into the public consciousness yet, and it was brought up tangentially, I think, in some of the House and Senate hearings in the past week, is the concept of shadow profiles and the amount of data that Facebook captures concerning people who aren't even on the service. And Mark Zuckerberg very deftly or otherwise Deferred to the experts who will hopefully come back later and explain. Deferred and said, I'm going to have my team get back to you, which is essentially his response on almost everything involved in the system, even though he could have gotten a good bit more candid about what's going on. Um, but even if you're not on Facebook, so that I, you know, and I'll, let's take my, I'll use myself as an example. When I first started into the system, somewhere along the way, I uploaded my uh, Google contacts list of and i you know right now it's probably over five or six thousand people email addresses phone numbers home and work addresses for large portions of that group um and did you i'm going to have to ask this question to be fair did you derive benefit from that upload um so yes i derived benefit from that upload but i don't think i derived as much benefit from that upload as Facebook has extracted from it. So I took tens, you know, thousands of hours easily, if not tens of thousands of hours, compiling my address book over the span of 15, 20 years. And then in four seconds of time, was able to easily upload it and hand that over to Facebook. So for all my, and when I started, when I got on Facebook, there I think there were maybe three people in my address book of 4,000 plus people who were also on the service with any bit of data that Facebook could say, okay, the two of you know each other. Um, But at the same time, for the last decade and change, Facebook has also kept all of that data such that when someone else joins, they're able to easily suggest that we should know each other or befriend each other. but as a result, Facebook has this huge list of shadow profiles of, you know, a thousand or more people still in my Rolodex who are not on Facebook. Um, and they're sophisticated enough, algorithm-wise, to know who those people are and how we're friends. Um, but Zuckerberg kind of very specifically tried to go out of his way 
to not admit that that data exists and or that Facebook is using it. Um, and if you're a friend of mine and I gave you away or gave you up in some sense, um, there's no way for you to go into Facebook without creating an account and then saying, hey, delete my data. Um, and I think until GDPR comes into full effect, um, Facebook, even if I say I'm going to delete my account and delete everything, I don't, I don't think Facebook presently is actually deleting all of that data out of their databases. Um, or I haven't seen any definitive proof or statements from them as a company saying they've deleted data as I've exited. Um, and I remember in the early days, they said, oh, yes, if you delete a photo, they're deleting the link from your account to that photo. But they said it was such a difficult engineering problem to actually go get that photo and delete the data out of it that they weren't doing that at the time. And, and honestly, I've not seen direct reporting since then to indicate to me that that's something that they're doing. Um, so even things I've deleted out of my Facebook account, there's still this kind of shadow profile of me that exists on their servers, uh, at least to my knowledge, that they haven't said that they're now deleting that content. But I'm assuming that with GDPR rules and regulations, they may start doing that at least for people within the EU. Well, they said they were going to extend it to people outside of the EU after saying they were. Yeah. So hopefully they will. Um, but beyond that, um, hopefully, and- hopefully we, we will just continue at the very least as we have, which is posting where we want to post and trusting that it will go everywhere that it needs to go and that all people's responses will come back so we don't we can simultaneously be engaged with people on any platform but simultaneously not yeah. necessarily be tied into one thing that may or may take unfair advantage of and that's the you know and i think that was the other thing that didn't really come out in full force in any of these hearings um that kind of concerns me and it's a little you know it it seems a little bit um conspiratorial theory in some sense, but there's, I think there's enough black box algorithm within Facebook that I think Facebook themselves don't truly fully understand. Um, but I know in 2011 and 2012, they did data experiments with encouraging people to vote and sh- giving users the ability to say, yes, I voted today and show that as a post on their feed that then friends and family saw. Um, but they did some statistics and then matched it up with voter records to double check the data. And they were able to show that by either showing posts saying someone voted and adding additional faces of friends and family who also voted, they were able to show in certain areas tremendously large upticks in people voting as a result. And because of the way their black box algorithm works, you don't know who who's seeing it, when or where. And my experience on Facebook can be drastically different than your experience. So that if we are of different political parties, you might be in, more heavily encouraged to vote than I, or your area may be. And in a world, particularly in the U.S. over the last several presidential elections, and I, we won't even get into smaller regional issues, but when the vote percentages come down to two or three swing states, and not even that, but there's enough voter data out there that pollsters and political campaigns are actually able to subsegment 
swing districts in swing states that if Facebook can go out and very specifically encourage voters in specific sub-areas of one political affiliation or another to say, go out and vote, then you know that becomes a, an incredibly troubling thing that Facebook has a huge potential swing vote that they can throw and put their finger on the scales, but they can do it in such a way that nobody on the outside of Facebook would know that that existed. And then that becomes, even if you leave the 2016 election and the Russian meddling issue aside, it makes it very... I try to. I, I, you know, think, I, have, <laughs> I think I have fatigue about that whole thing. You know, so, uh, not even fatigue, but you know, some people even reporting PTSD relating to it. But if you look at the fact that Mark Zuckerberg took this tour across America to meet, quote-unquote, the average user was what he said he was doing. But if, in fact, that was, as many people speculated, a precursor to a potential presidential bid in the next election, it becomes even more scary because Facebook, without letting anyone on the outside know, could very drastically sway voters who potentially could or would vote for Mark Zuckerberg to do so in higher numbers and actively discourage people psychologically from voting against him and thereby putting a huge finger on the balance of what's happening in democracy, um, that becomes a huge problem. And it's without regulation before that next big, especially presidential election, much less smaller regional stuff. Um, you know, that's very concerning. And to me, that was the one huge thing that didn't come up in these um, hearings this past week. Um, Weren't they too busy uh, thanking him for his contribution to society and asking about their love of chocolate? Yeah, or or I want to mention my own kid who would be upset if I didn't say that I was here with you today, Mark Zuckerberg. I, that that one really killed me. Um, and I did see... It's not Walt Disney. I, I, well, I'm trying to remember, too, where the reference was, but I think it I saw it pop up on the radar screen that the psychologist who was working for Cambridge Analytica and was a senior partner in the original Endeavor, is actually no longer with Cambridge Analytica, but is actually a consultant on Facebook's payroll. And I was honestly really shocked that that did not become a huge, massive um, headline in the last you know two or three weeks here. Um, but uh, I would say for those who are interested or curious, um, Kathy O'Neill has a phenomenal book out in the last year called Weapons of Math Destruction. And I'll, Sounds cute. I'll, you know, it's a cute title, but it's very specifically not mass, M-A-S-S, but M-A-T-H. And she was a, a quant working for a large hedge fund, I think, uh, during just before and during the 28, uh, 2008 uh, financial crisis. Uh, and she literally has a, a tremendously large full-length nonfiction book, and it's very accessible, and she, she doesn't... I don't think there were any math equations in it at all. It was meant for a broad audience. But she actually talks about and uses a bunch of, a bunch of individual specific use cases of large data being used in society 
some of it pointedly and specifically to disadvantage people, but a lot of it are examples of people who are being disadvantaged without knowing about it by huge pools of large data that are make, actually making their lives measurably harder, but in ways that are totally not seen and not known because the people who are using these data sets don't know or realize this data is pushing them to disadvantage people in their business practices. But it's, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, issues that's going to face not only America, but the entire world over the next decade. Um, and it's a huge problem that's going to need to be fixed both at the social media scale of things like Facebook, but also uh, governmental scales. Um, but it's, some, it's a topic that I think the average American or average world citizen has no, no knowledge of. Um, I, only, I only worry when, we, when we, we both are somewhat American-centric, not for everything, oh. but I worry that we, that we may disillusion the international audience we haven't built yet. <laughs> well, I, the way I look at things in a broad, in a, on a broader time scale, there are many countries who, in a great extent, I think haven't experienced the Industrial Revolution yet or are just on the verge of experiencing it. And they're not only going to experience it, they're, they're going to experience it at a drastically accelerated rate compared to the past 250 years or more over which parts of Europe and the United States have experienced it, or even parts of Asia. Um, and, and that's going to have a, you know, a really profound effect. Um, so a lot of times, even when I think about problems from a U.S.-centric perspective, there are problems that are going to trickle down and be the same exact problems that second and third world countries are going to experience. Uh, but ideally, hopefully, they experience it with the knowledge and hindsight of being able to see these problems as Britain, the U.S., India, and China have experienced them over the last two or three hundred years. Um, but it, it, you know, you're right to point out that it's not. We shouldn't be so even focused on that. And oftentimes I try and even take myself out of the indie web philosophy picture of life and try and experience it the way uh, my friends and family who aren't aware of it do, or even the way, you know, indie web friendly technology like Mastodon and the math, an average Mastodon user might experience it. Um, How's that worked out? Uh, it's, you know, it's a very tough thing to do. Um, but I kind of look at, where Mastodon is the, in their thinking and evolution is roughly where I was three or four years ago. Um, and I think eventually they'll see the value and benefit and come around to it. It's, you know, I always think of it as the, you know, the, uh, the bond mod of the, the future is here. It just isn't evenly distributed yet. Um, but I'm also always more interested, too, in what are the parts of the future that I'm not personally experiencing yet, uh, and in what ways am I being left behind? Uh, well, I think that's an interesting uh, note to close on. Certainly. Uh, um, until the next time we record a podcast, whenever that may be. Yeah, hopefully or, before three weeks has come and gone. Or in two minutes, since we agreed to record another one to make up for the three weeks. There you go. All right. Okay, well, um, until the next podcast, whenever it will be, or five minutes from now, goodbye, everyone. Have a good one.